Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 255 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Amy Knight. Hello. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live with a balmy 35 degrees at Dabbly Labs in Provo. Corey House. Hi, everybody. I'm Charles Max Wood from DevChat.tv. Quick shout out about JS Remote Conf. We also have a special guest this week, and that is Bowden Kelly. Hey there. Do you want to give us a brief introduction since we haven't had you on the show before? Sure. Uh, my name is Bowden Kelly. I'm a program manager at Microsoft, uh, and I'm working on the TypeScript language and JavaScript dev tools across Visual Studio, VS Code, uh, and other editing environments. Gotcha. Well, we uh, I've been talking with um, one of the publicity folks over at Microsoft who lined this up for us. I guess it's kind of a special occasion for Visual Studio. Do you want to talk about that briefly? That's right. Uh, Visual Studio 2017 is coming out next week. Uh, and so there will be a lot of updates across the board. But in JavaScript and TypeScript, uh, we both have a lot of new stuff coming uh, in this release. Let's take a break from this episode and really quickly talk about finding a job. You know, searching for a job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out that the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Well, there's a solution. Hired.com is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities. They make the job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of how and when you connect with compelling opportunities. And after completing one simple application, top employers apply to you. And the best part is, is that you get money. That's right. They pay you if you get a job through them. Listeners to this show can earn double their normal hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right. You get $2,000 instead of $1,000. So go sign up at hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Awesome. Now, I, I want to start this out with a question that Corey asked before the show, because I think that's a good jumping off point for this. So, Corey, why don't you go ahead and ask your question? Yeah. So uh, my question was... Um, when do you think it makes sense to reach for VS Code for JavaScript versus uh, Visual Studio? They're both tools that have pretty strong support, but I find myself at least preferring VS Code for the JavaScript side. So do you feel like Visual Studio is, uh, again, becoming a really compelling option with these latest updates? Uh, it depends on what you're working on. Um, what we've spent a lot of time in this last release, particularly, is making sure that uh, VS Code and Visual Studio have a similar JavaScript editing experience. Um, and we really want you to be able to move back and forth between the two uh, without a lot of friction. And so uh, there's a lot of personal preference. Some people tend to uh, enjoy lightweight editors like you know Sublime and Atom, and thus VS Code will feel better to them. Other people like you know a heavyweight, more uh, you know wizard-driven environment, kind of like you know WebStorm or uh, Eclipse, and so Visual Studio will feel better there. Um, but if you have experience with both, uh, typically what we tell you is if, if you already have a kind of project centric environment, um, with multi projects that are loaded into a solution, visual studio will help you take care of all of that stuff, uh, going back and forth between C sharp code or, you know, C plus plus and JavaScript. 
Um, if you're really doing, you know, lightweight front-end web development and you just have some HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, uh, I personally use VS Code for all of that. Good stuff. So are there uh, particular features that you've added in for JavaScript as part of 2017? Um, there, the, the biggest change is, if, if you are familiar with VS Code, uh, the new language service that's powered by TypeScript um, basically what we do is we feed all of our JavaScript code through TypeScript, uh, and we use types from the community, from definitely typed, uh, to provide IntelliSense and, uh, better, uh, method signatures and, and help when you're, you know, writing your code. And all of that work started in, uh, VS, VS 2017 for this release. Um, it was released in VS code a little bit earlier. Um, but that will all, all those changes will be realized in, in this release of Visual Studio as well. That's great news because it works really well in VS Code. Quite happy with it. Yeah, yeah, it feels very nice, uh, especially when you're using popular libraries. There are still, you know, fringe libraries that won't get, um, you know, perfect intelligence all the time. But for the most part, if, you, if you're working in the, the mainstream, the, the 90%, you're going to get a pretty smooth experience in both VS and VS Code. Excellent. I like what you emphasized there of switching between because, like, I work in a Microsoft shop, so our whole back end is Microsoft, but our front end is uh, really all JavaScript uh, in React at the moment. And so we find ourselves switching between Visual Studio uh, for the back end and then often reaching for VS Code on the front end. But it sounds like um, I, I like that you're, you're being deliberate about as much as you can making that switch between the two feel pretty natural. Yeah, we found that there are you know, there's, there's obviously a ton of JavaScript developers out there, uh, and there's a wide array of, you know, people who do full stack versus only front end versus only back end, and um, each of them have their preferences, but uh, we find that there's a lot of developers, a whole lot of developers, in, in, at least in VS, who, um, you know, do a bunch of their C-sharp, uh, you know, Microsoft platform stuff uh, in the IDE. Uh, if they have little changes, you know, maybe they'll pop open a JavaScript file here or there, but when they're in the kind of front-end development mode, um, they prefer to, you know, the, the lightweight uh, Visual Studio Code environment. And so what we want to be able to do is, you know, you can use the strengths of each if you want, but you should be able to use them together, and there's definitely a place for both in your toolkit. So one thing that I'm wondering about, um, you know, I've used Visual Studio Code, but I have never been a .NET developer. I've never actually um, built anything for Microsoft technology at all. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I fiddle around with Azure, I guess, but, you know, never with like .NET, C Sharp, uh, F Sharp, or any of those uh, other tools. And so what I'm wondering is, um, how does this compare to other IDEs that I have used, like WebStorm or Visual Studio Code? I mean, you've talked about the JavaScript tooling and that that's pretty similar, but the overall experience of the IDE, how does that compare to other uh, systems? Uh, it's, it's fairly similar. Uh, in, in most regards, uh, and when I think of other systems, I'm thinking like Eclipse and, and WebStorm. If you're familiar with the, the IDE-centric workflow of I'm going to create a new project and I'm going to have a wizard and I'm going to get to pick my project template um, and I'm going to get to configure it a little bit and you know now I want to edit some environment variables and I have a tools options menu that's all you know a nice big kind of wizardy GUI that will let me you know check uh, check boxes and radio buttons as opposed to config files. Um, that, that is that is the kind of experience you will get in Visual Studio. Um, the the thing that I personally like the best about an, an IDE environment is is the setup and configuration. 
Uh, and so, you know, for, for things like you, you mentioned Azure or, um, you know, publishing a, a website, uh, IDEs are incredibly good at including every single dependency, every single config file, all of the things that you're going to need to be successful. They can include those out of the box so that, sure, you, you pay for it on the front end with, you know, a six gig download and maybe, you know, 20 minutes of download time as opposed to, you know, seconds with VS Code. Uh, but when you hit, you know, F5 to run your build and then you right-click publish, it just happens. It just works. There's no additional, you know, go find this tutorial and follow all these steps to get the right config files and the right, you know, CLI tools and chant the right incantations. And then, you know, it just works. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of the IDE experience is they can provide you everything you need to be successful out of the box. I have kind of like it's not really it's not at all a technical question but i'm kind of just curious like why uh is vs code free but visual studio you have to pay for like what was the reasoning behind that so you actually don't have to pay for visual studio you could go download visual okay. studio community right now um and in fact uh, a majority of people do not pay for visual studio um the the the, the difference is you know you have the big you know enterprise licensing agreements and support agreements and stuff. Um, and none of that exists in VS Code. And so uh, it is completely free and only free, um, whereas, you know, you have tiered tiered servicing in, in Visual Studio. Isn't there differences also in the feature set of Visual Studio Code? Uh, Sorry, not Visual, Code of Visual Studio. Yeah. Yes, there, there are... There are certainly a set of features that exist uh, in kind of the enterprise version that don't exist uh, in the community version. Um, and that mostly depends on your workload and what you're doing. Um, but for the most part, at least for web development, JavaScript, TypeScript, uh, everything you get in community is, is what you would get uh, in the, the higher versions as well. So I'm wondering, um, what, what, what's sort of the mission of Visual Studio? I mean, is it to make money for Microsoft um, by providing? Because uh, I mean, it's not it's not cheap to get like the big full version, right? Um, or you know, I, I guess I'm asking this the wrong way because it seems like it's a product that Microsoft actually sells, um, and then it's also um, a tool that provides a certain experience. So, is it targeted towards a specific group of developers or? Um, is this something that you think everybody could use in one way or another? I, I think it, it comes down to there's, there's a lot of personal preference there. Um, and again, it also depends on what you're doing. There are there are some workflows. If I was going to um, write C Sharp, I would use Visual Studio hands down. Uh, if I was going to make, uh, you know, a, a Web page for my resume, I would use Visual Studio Code. Um, and there's certainly projects in between where I might use a little bit of both. Um, but the goal of the goal of Visual Studio as a whole is to um, kind of pull together your developer environment into a familiar place. And so if, if you, know, you think about your, you know, your laptop today and the number of things you have installed, um, the number of different tools you have to use to accomplish any given you know, programming task, it's, it's pretty large, right? Um, and so Visual Studio is, is, is trying to, to pull as many of those things together so you can feel comfortable in an environment that you know, with the hotkeys that you know, um, and be able to accomplish a large amount of things, a large variety of things. Maybe one afternoon you're, you know, doing a C++, you know, desktop 
project and then the next one you're moving on to a cross-platform Cordova app, you can do all of those things from Visual Studio and still be kind of familiar with your environment. Mm -hmm. um, and so really the goal is, you know, to, to, to enable developers to to accomplish kind of as many things as possible in a, in a productive manner. Um, uh, and so that you can be, you know, comfortable in your environment with your productivity tools and your hotkeys, um, your look and feel, uh, and you can still do the breadth that, that programming really provides. You can, you can do all of the different things that you'd want to do, um, but in one familiar place. Um, and so I would say that everyone, everyone, there is a place for Visual Studio for everyone, uh, but it, it is it's mostly based on your, your application type or your workflow choice. Um, and, and then, then from there, it's kind of a personal preference as well. Yeah, that makes sense. So how many languages or programming systems does Visual Studio support? Uh, well, technically, like almost all of them, anything that's supported by TextMate, you can now do in Visual Studio. Um, you'll get the basic, you know, colorizing that you get from from TextMate, whether you're doing, you know, PHP or whatever, um, Java even. Uh, but to actually have a rich, rich editing experience, there's there's quite a few. Um, you know, there's C Sharp, F Sharp, uh, XAML. There's JavaScript, TypeScript. There's C plus plus and C. Um, there's, there's a pretty wide array of languages with really rich, you know, first class editing support. Um, and then for everything else, and then of course there's HTML and JSON and CSS, uh, but for everything else, there's still, you know, basic text made support such that you get that kind of sublime like experience where you, you open it up and, um, you know, you, you might get some brace completion here and there, but for the most part, it's just, uh, colorizing. So my next question is, um, you know, I'm pretty familiar with uh, Visual Studio Code. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I've used it a bunch and I like it. So what features does Visual Studio have that Visual Studio Code doesn't that may make me think about making the switch to, you know, a more holistic environment? So it first, first of all, it has the, the concept of, you know, project uh, file system kind of stuff. So if you have... Um, a lot of code, a whole lot of code, and it's broken into, you know, multiple logical project pieces. Uh, you can then move them around and reference them in solutions. Um, and it makes it extremely easy to drop an entire, you know, project or module from one solution into another solution uh, and keep all of those mappings intact so that when you edit them, you're not having to update, you know, references all over the place. Um, so for really large scale, you know, development, um, that's extremely valuable. Um, the other things it does that I really like personally are the setup and configuration. Uh, last time I tried to write a Cordova app or an Ionic app, um, it, it took a long time to, you know, go download the J uh, Java SDK and then you have to go get the, the right emulator and then you have to install the right version of Android and there's you know 15 different pieces that you have to get all set up and they have to have versions that match up perfectly and all of that can take you know the better part of an afternoon um, whereas with Visual Studio uh, you can you know pull down say you know mobile development uh, and it'll grab everything you need for you in the installer um, it's sure, sure you wait 20 or 30 minutes for all of that stuff to install, but it just all happens for you and you know, they're going to be versions that work. Uh, and so you can grab a, a template 
and just hit go, hit build, the build's going to succeed and you're going to be up and running, writing code uh, faster than if you tried to manually configure everything through VS Code. Um, and so it, it depends. Some people don't have a problem at all with setup and configuration. Um, it's just part of the game and they go through it and find a tutorial online and it's easy enough. Uh, for other people like myself, I really struggle for, with setup. And so having, having Visual Studio take that burden off my plate lets me focus on, on code, on, on creating cool stuff rather than, you know, uh, configuring builds, build settings and whatnot. Right. So you can, in Visual Studio, you can build an application for Android in Java and then turn around and build um, a web service that backs it up in Node.js with Angular or React on the front end uh, to get your web app going. And it, it all kind of, you can do it all in Visual Studio. And you can connect it all together with, yes, the, the Visual Studio project system and, and be looking at, you know, different logical projects all in the same view, um, despite, despite their actual, you know, folder setup on disk. You can see it all in one place uh, in, in your solution explorer. Uh, and so it is, it is really nice for, for complex kind of setups and projects, um, like that. You can also, you know, do all of your, your Git management through a UI if you're into that as well. Um, and then probably finally the most, most valuable piece is, is given, uh, the tight, tight coupling with Azure and Visual Studio. You can take almost any project type, uh, and with one, one click publish it to Azure. Um, which is extremely valuable for, for, you know, the little stuff. Um, I find myself, uh, launching websites, you know, small websites all the time. So, um, is, I think I heard somewhere that this is the 20th anniversary of Visual Studio being released. Is that incorrect? Uh, it's possible. Uh, I actually don't know when Visual Studio started. It's, uh, maybe I should, but it's, uh, I do know it's been around forever, and so I wouldn't be shocked if it's the 20th anniversary. Okay. Um, I don't know if I have any other questions about Visual Studio. Anyone else, or should we dive into Visual Studio Code or TypeScript? I did have one other question. Uh, it's, it's always struck me odd that Visual Studio doesn't have a built-in command line. That's one thing that I really like within... The, uh, within VS Code, is that something that you think will be added at some point? Uh, so that's that's actually a good question. Uh, I have the same complaint, um, but what we find is that the uh, average Visual Studio developer doesn't uh, doesn't enjoy the command line experience. They they would prefer that the IDE kind of shepherd them through whatever they're trying to do. Uh, and so, like, if, if you could, I don't know, give me an example of something you, you typically command line from, uh, usually there's, you know, a, a way of doing it in the IDE that's just not command line oriented. Like, a great example is, is Git, Git management. Um, I typically do all of my, you know, Git commands from command line. And so having a command line just for that would, would make sense. But uh, there are controls for that in Visual Studio as well. And, and we find that, for the most part... Uh, Developers who choose Visual Studio are, are looking for those kind of those built-in controls as opposed to uh, the native command line experience. You know, I suppose that fits with the name. It is Visual Studio, so <laughs> it, it right, never yeah. occurred to me that you're really just being on brand in that case. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So where do Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code and 
you know, Visual Studio community? Where, where do all these things fit into the future of Microsoft? Because, I mean, we hear a lot about Microsoft with Windows and, and more of the consumer side of things, but, but how does the rest of this kind of fit in with where Microsoft is headed? Well, I think uh, for the time being, at least, the, the kind of goal of our division is to um, build productive developer tools for developers where they are. Um, for, for a long time, it seemed like as Microsoft, what we did is, you know, we uh, we built a bunch of stuff and then we said, hey, everyone come use our stuff. We're the best. Um, and it turns out that's that's not exactly uh, <laughs> the best way to build products for developers. Uh, and so we spent a lot more time, you know, talking to developers on different platforms. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you saw, uh, you know, the emphasis on VS Code of being cross-platform. Uh, .NET Core is going cross-platform. There's an emphasis on meeting developers where they are right now. Uh, and so currently, um, currently there is there is a kind of a, a goal to just build as many um build as many developer tools that can make developers productive wherever they are, whatever they're working on. Um, and then, and then kind of, you know, there, there's not so much emphasis on uh, driving them all to windows, I suppose. Gotcha. In fact, um, AJ and I were at connect. Was it earlier this year? No, it was last year. And uh, yeah, they kept talking about any developer, any application anywhere. And yeah, that's kind of interesting to see it all kind of, move over i mean now they released i think it was visual studio for mac that's right and that's right so it's kind of everywhere ubiquitous or semi-ubiquitous i don't know if there's visual studio for linux but <laughs> not yet but it's a pretty exciting time to to kind of be working on developer tools at microsoft because it, it truly is you know any developer anywhere um and, and we do spend a lot of time just talking to developers and figuring out what kind of cool stuff they're working on uh, and really just how to make their lives better, how to make them more productive, uh, how to let them focus on, you know, writing code and not maintaining it. Uh, and so that's kind of the general direction of, of Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code kind of at the moment. So um, when is the actual release to manufacturers? Is it March 7th? March 7th. That is the date next Tuesday. Yes, it's going to be great. There's going to be a... Uh, a bunch of a bunch of live streamed events uh, all all day, and so you should you should check them out. Yep. And when he says uh, next Tuesday, he means as this is released today. So ah, that's right. So yeah, the yes. the ultimate time shift. Um, so yeah, <laughs> um, if you downloaded this this morning, then go check out what's going on over there and see what Microsoft's got going on. So let's dig into Microsoft or to Visual Studio Code for a minute, because I think I think a lot of people are a little more interested in that. And we've had Chris Diaz on the show and um, Eric Gamma and a few other people to talk about Visual Studio Code. Um, does this include a release on Visual Studio Code or is this uh, just on Visual Studio? Uh, it does not. Visual Studio Code is actually releasing this week, I believe, uh, their latest version, which I think is one ten. Um, Visual Studio Code is, has a, a monthly release cycle, and they actually have a lot of velocity uh, kind of on their on their updates, and so um, they tend to release at a much faster cadence. That makes sense. So, so what's coming down the pipeline for Visual Studio Code then? Uh, there's a lot of exciting things coming in the pipeline for Visual Studio Code. Um, from a, I can speak for JavaScript and TypeScript specifically. 
Um, I know there's a lot, a lot more going on kind of across the board. And, and if you're interested in those things, you can check out their website. They have information on all of that um, at code.visualstudio.com. But in terms of JavaScript and TypeScript, uh, kind of the, the biggest thing in the pipeline is quick fixes for, uh, for TypeScript. Um, and so everyone's kind of familiar with the, the light bulb from, uh, you know, WebStorm or, or Eclipse and even they're in Visual Studio as well. Um, and it's, it's pretty exciting to be able to provide developers those kind of automatic fixes when you have an error or something wrong or, or a way that you can uh, rewrite code to make it a little more friendly to read. Uh, and those are coming in Visual Studio Code. Um, and so that'll be out this, this release. How's that different than uh, the code lens? So code lens, I believe, is the uh, the feature that shows you kind of the the number of references to a specific piece of code um, and like who touched it last. Um, the these light bulbs or code actions, I think they call them in VS Code. Uh, they are basically the the plumbing that allows any language or language service to um, provide some action based on an error. And so with uh, TypeScript, for example, we can now do automatic imports where, uh, where previously you'd have gotten an error saying, you know, undefined uh, var, whatever. We can now say, you know, would you like to import this uh, from this module? And then you can actually complete the statement and add all the code uh, to the top of your file. I mean, it really opens up a lot of possibilities, especially in the JavaScript and TypeScript world where there are a lot of common mistakes that we no developers make. And now instead of trying to give them a creatively crafted error message that, you know, helps them solve whatever their issue is, we can just solve it for them. So what's your relationship? You kind of talk about the Visual Studio Code team. Uh, what's your relationship with them? How closely do you guys work together? We actually work extremely closely. Um, part of that is because Visual Studio Code is written in TypeScript. And so they're one of our best examples of you know, TypeScript working at an extremely large scale. Um, part of that is also because we provide the language service uh, TS Server, which which powers their JavaScript and TypeScript editing experience, and they mm -hmm. ship it out of the box. So whereas there's a lot of, uh, you know, VS Code's model is very extension heavy. So, you know, the, the base VS Code gets you support for kind of the, some basic languages. But if you want additional languages, you download a language extension. Um, JavaScript and TypeScript come out of the box, and so uh, we work very closely with them around release time to make sure that that their experience is good on every release uh, for JavaScript and TypeScript. Gotcha. Yeah, and I'm aware that you have extensions for a lot of other languages. So my back end of choice is not Node.js; it's Ruby on Rails. And so uh, you know, I've seen that there's a Ruby extension, and you know, it's it's not perfect, but it's pretty nice. So, you know, if you have other language preferences for, for backends or other things, um, there's probably an extension for it. And a lot of the compiled to JavaScript languages also come with some kind of extension for them. That's right. And the exciting part about all that is it's, it's very community driven. Um, and so you can go find the extension uh, for, for whatever your language is on GitHub and, and actually see the, the big contributors and the community and the direction they're taking with uh, the language extension and, and their individual roadmaps. Um, and of course, you can contribute and, and file issues as well. 
Um, but it's really great because it, it brings a lot of uh, transparency to, you know, what is being supported when and kind of what is the future of each language in, in Visual Studio Code. Right. So Visual Studio Code has gotten really popular over the last couple, you know, year, year and a half. And I think that uh, at least in the into the JavaScript community, I think it surprised a lot of people. Do you have any? I know that I have my own thoughts as to why that is, why it's gotten so popular. Do you have any uh, personal opinions as to why Visual Studio Code has gotten so popular? Yeah, I think uh, I think it mostly has to do with the fact that they take this this almost hybrid approach of you know they're not strictly an editor, but they're also definitely not an IDE and. And at least in, in my experience doing web development, IDEs are, are kind of overkill. You don't need a vast majority of the features. You know, you're testing in a browser. You don't don't need any fancy builds. Um, and so uh, kind of, you know, the last five years or so, text editors have become pretty popular for web development. Uh, but at the cost of productivity tools um, and at the cost of integrated debugging. and And some of those things are are huge productivity wins. And so I think VS Code trying to fill the gap of being small and lightweight enough that it's still, you know, a 30 second download and, uh, you know, you get started fast, you can launch and get into code within three seconds. I think those are still, you know, core fundamental principles that, that web developers have latched onto. Um, but they also want, want some of those things that, you know, the, the big IDEs provide. They want the debugging uh, they want the, the the nice completions. They want the quick fixes. They want the productivity tools that help them do their job better. Uh, but they still they still value the performance of the editor as well. That's a good answer. Does that kind of line up with uh, with your worldview of VS Code? Well, I would have uh, said it like this: It works well. <laughs> <laughs> it just works. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, is that it's it's a workflow that you only really notice when it gets interrupted. And Visual Studio Code, in a lot of ways, um, removes those interruptions. So um, when you're working just in a text editor, uh, you know, I, I used Emacs for many, many years. And, um, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, well, now I've got to go run this test or I've got to do this debugging. And since it's not uh, an Emacs um, plugin that I use very often... I have to switch gears and with visual studio code, since a lot of those things are built in, I don't really have to think too much to move over to the other tool and just have it visually do its job for me. And so that's where it's nice, but I definitely agree. Most of the IDEs are complete overkill for what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. That, that minimizing context switching is so, so valuable for especially web developers uh, because there are so many different tools, right? The JavaScript tool chain is like out of control. Uh, and so being able to consolidate as much of that as possible is, is a huge productivity boon. Yep. Let's pause for a moment to talk about our sponsor, Taurus. Taurus is a new tool for managing and securing the secret information that allows your app to run. You know the stuff, passwords, API keys, database credentials, all the stuff that gives access to the private stuff that you don't want anybody to touch except for your application in specific ways. Taurus provides a convenient way to store all this information in the cloud, and they can't access it because it's encrypted with material derived from your password, which is never transmitted to their server. 
So it's secured from them, from everybody else, but accessible to you. This means only the servers, development machines, and applications you've allowed can access the information. So make secrets management headaches a thing of the past and check out Taurus today. You can find them at devchat.tv slash Taurus. That's devchat.tv slash T-O-R-U-S. Anything we want to tackle uh, that we haven't done on Visual Studio Code? Because I, I, I want to start talking about TypeScript if we don't. I will take silence as uh, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Let's do it. So uh, TypeScript, uh, there are a couple of things that I want to dig into. Uh, one of them to start out with is uh, Joe and I are on another show that talk we talk about Angular every week. And TypeScript has kind of been the way that they... Uh, recommend that you do things and most of the examples are done in TypeScript first and then in JavaScript second. And so I'm wondering, you know, what is that relationship like with the Angular team? Because I think we all kind of take it for granted, but there's got to be some work there to make sure that everybody is getting what they need. It's been incredible. Honestly, that's that's probably uh, one of our, our strongest relationships with, you know, partner teams in the JavaScript community. And, and it all started... Um, back with at script. I don't know if y'all are familiar with at script, but basically kind of around TypeScript 1.4, um, the Angular team started getting interested in, you know, type checking JavaScript, uh, you know, with their, their goals of building a, a super productive development platform. Um, they were very interested in, in type checking. And so they took a look at TypeScript and, and it didn't quite have all of the pieces they needed. Uh, for example, decorators and, and some of the ES6 support that they were already starting to adopt in Angular 2. Um, and so at first they, you know, kind of forked it um, and said, you know, we're going to do something similar but different uh, and we're going to call it at script. And, you know, we reached out to them and said, okay, hey, you know, there's, there's no need for all of us to be working on the same, the same thing. Uh, so if, if we can just kind of get together and, and talk about what you need, what your developers need, um, then we can start incorporating these things and, and making TypeScript stronger for it. And, and that's what started to happen. You know, they, they, they pointed out several things. And over the next, you know, 1.5, 1.7, 1.8, um, we, we released a bunch of features that kind of filled out uh, the, the gaps that TypeScript had in Angular 2. Um, and in doing so, it made TypeScript a much, much stronger language. You know, we had all these Angular developers who were starting uh, to use TypeScript on a regular basis, and we got an incredible amount of feedback uh, from the Angular community, and all of that went into building a stronger language. And so since then, you know, they've, they've been using uh, TypeScript fairly extensively uh, in Angular. Uh, as, you, as you noted, all the kind of the samples are written in TypeScript first. Um, but we've also continued to work with them kind of on what are the next steps. Um, and, and one of the most exciting ones is uh, the, the language service extensibility model that we've kind of been working on is, is built with Angular in mind. Um, and, and what I mean by this is this language service extensibility model is, you know, a lot of, a lot of these frameworks these days do some really interesting stuff. Uh, where they're, you know, injecting different things into HTML or they're providing, um, you know, access to JavaScript uh, objects in, in non-traditional places. Uh, and for the most part, um, we don't want to have framework-specific tooling built into, you know, the generic 
TS server that powers the, the JavaScript and TypeScript experience everywhere. And so we've built this extensibility model that allows you know, the Angular team to come in and override the completions that you'll get for specific Angular controls. And they can override formatting and they can override basically the entire uh, editing experience with Angular-centric uh, suggestions and controls. And it's really powerful because you, know, you, you, you can imagine that the, the IntelliSense help uh, or completions you get today are already pretty good, but there's, there's places where it doesn't quite always work. Um, and, and one of the big ones being, you know, kind of in, in template strings in, in uh, Angular, you know, uh, components. And so what they'll be able to do is start providing uh, completions in template strings using this, this language service extensibility model uh, and by just having, you know, an Angular extension onto TypeScript. And so it continues to be a, a really great relationship with the Angular team. We, we talk to them uh, on an almost monthly basis to, to keep up with, uh, them and their users and how we can kind of better serve their community as well as what we can do to kind of to better both both the TypeScript language and the productivity of Angular developers altogether. Um, do you know if there are other people working with other frameworks like uh, some of the React uh, setups or React Native maybe or some of these others to do kind of the same thing with that uh, language service? Absolutely. Yeah, we're starting to work with the, the Vue team. Um, we are working with Ember and Aurelia. Uh, we haven't started specific React extension work yet, and that's mostly because there's not, not really a need for it. There's JSX support out of the box in TypeScript. Uh, and so for the most part in React, you get all of the completions you need anyway. Um, we're starting to look into React Native as well to see kind of is there anywhere where we could improve the experience there. Uh, but it's, it's pretty exciting. Uh, Angular, Angular will be the first. We've been working really closely with them to kind of iron out all the kinks of the extension model and, you know, how you acquire the extension and how you include it in your, your TypeScript build. Um, but from there, we expect to see, you know, kind of a, a widespread uh, improvement for, for developers regardless of your framework. That's really cool. And I know that, yeah, like you said, it feeds back into these other systems, into Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code um, to make those experiences better. And it's it's kind of nice to see this all kind of pay off across all of these different experiences. Well, it's, it's not even just Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code. Uh, because our language service is is shipped with, with TypeScript, um, every single editor gets the same capabilities all they have to do is is plug it into you know their various interfaces, and so you know we maintain the Sublime plugin, but there's also an Atom plugin, a Vim plugin, an Emacs plugin. You can get TypeScript support in any editor across the board, and and all of these features will light up as soon as uh, you know the the respective plugin authors just make the, the couple updates to to the interfaces. Very slick. Is there a way to extend that to other systems? So maybe CoffeeScript or something like that? Or is this a TypeScript specific thing? This is, this is a TypeScript specific thing because it's all powered by the TypeScript language service. Mm -hmm. uh, but that also means it could be extended to any JavaScript scenario as well. Um, and so you could, uh, you know, in theory, write a extension to um, any kind of JavaScript development environment. That makes sense. So, 
So for example, you know, you, you could imagine like a, a Cordova kind of uh, extension to the language service where you're getting specific completions related to Cordova or specific, you know, formats, uh, auto formatting that are popular within a specific community. And what about the future of TypeScript? Like where is TypeScript heading? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, the, as of, if you think about kind of where we've come, uh, you know, 2.0 marked a pretty big, uh, you know, change in that we kind of picked up non-nullable types and control flow analysis, these things that um, were kind of large breaking changes in the existing TypeScript world. Um, 2.1 saw, you know, async await down level, which kind of completed our ES6 support um, and our ES6 down level transformation support. And so going forward, you know, 2.2, 2.3 and beyond, um, there's kind of an overarching question of what's next. And, and really, our, our goal um, has always been with TypeScript to, to make developers more productive. Um, and so going forward, you're going to see a lot more uh, of the type system working for you. And, and earlier we talked about VS Code now enabling quick fixes. So you're going to start to see a lot of quick fixes for TypeScript scenarios popping up. One of the ones I mentioned that's coming uh, now is automatic imports. Um, and that is extremely helpful. You know, we also have things like, you know, you haven't um, declared your, your properties, your, your class properties. Um, there's a lot of little things in TypeScript uh, that can be tedious that we can fill all of those holes with quick fixes because, um, A, we already know the type information, uh, and, B, we now have the capability to do so through VS Code. And so just putting two and two together, we can now do a lot more for the developer who has put in the effort to add types um, and so there's going to be a big focus on, on that. Uh, probably the other thing we're looking into is how can we make it easier to uh, convert an existing code base, an existing JavaScript code base to TypeScript, or really just to get started with TypeScript in general. Um, and, and some of the things that we're, we're thinking about and playing with in that area are, you know, currently you can consume uh, JS doc uh, types into the TypeScript compiler. Um, and that's useful for getting completions, but we don't type check those. So for example, if you have, you know, a function that takes in two parameters uh, and you have a JS doc that says that both those parameters are strings and you pass in a number, um, TypeScript won't complain. You won't get an error there saying, hey, this is a type error. Um, it, it'll show you in the, in the, the function header, the, the method signature that, you know, these are in fact strings, not uh, ints, but nothing will stop you, right? Um, we're looking into expanding kind of type checkering coverage into those JS only scenarios uh, so that you can start getting a taste of TypeScript sooner. Um, and that's pretty exciting because we found that a lot of people, a lot of people like TypeScript. They like the idea of types in their JavaScript, uh, but for, they don't want to, you know, convert a bunch of existing code. Uh, you know, from JS to TS, whether it's the extension or, you know, even just adding an entire compiler emitter, you know, for a lot of node developers, they're not transpiling anything right now because, you know, their, their targets work with ES6 code. Uh, and so we're finding that there's a lot of people who are interested in the idea of, you know, okay, how can I maybe add a few types here and there in, in JS.comments, but still get type checking? 
Um, and what does that experience look like? And so that's something that you can you can expect to see more of in the future. So that's something that I really like is the idea of putting. I think I think there's too much burden on developers with the way things have been going, where it's like, look how cool I am. Look how I can involve 57,000 different packages in my chain to make some app, and you have to learn all of them to use yours. And I really like the idea of taking the benefit and putting it into a tool that someone chooses to use rather than putting the burden on every developer that wants to use a module. So I totally am in love with that uh, the doc type stuff and all of the hinting and the tooling that can go into VS Code and things like that that give the benefits. Exactly, and for a long time, I mean, we were focusing on the TypeScript, you know, the, the the upper end of the TypeScript scale. You know, we always say that going from JavaScript to TypeScript is like a dial. You can, you know, add a few types here and there. You can add no types, or you can type literally everything with with no implicit any, um, and turn on the dial all the way up. And for a long time, we focused on that upper end of the dial of, you know, really rewarding the people who put the time in to put in types. Um, now we're shifting the focus a little bit to the other end. You know, how can we get more benefits to the people who either don't have time to add types or they're just simply not that interested in it? Um, what can we do to make that experience a little better? Because after all, there's, you know, some, you know, eight to 10 million JavaScript developers out there and all of them have different preferences on, on how they write code. And so we should be able to do a better job of serving kind of the full spectrum of JavaScript developers. So do you feel like... Um because I know that TypeScript adopts some of the standards that are uh, being considered by TC39. So do you feel like TypeScript plays an important role in the future of JavaScript, not just in the future of TypeScript and typing in JavaScript? Absolutely. And that's actually kind of our hope, too. I mean, people always ask us, you know, uh, can I just wait for JavaScript to get types? Is, is that going to be in the next version of you know JavaScript or ECMAScript? Um, the, the problem there is you know, we see we, we work very closely with TC39 and the committee to, to, to make changes to the language. Uh, but there aren't going the reality is there aren't going to be types in JavaScript for a long time. It, it's a very complicated problem. Uh, and, and that's honestly why we created TypeScript in the first place. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we we do believe that JavaScript is the answer. You know, at the end of the day, JavaScript is the language that everyone wants to use. Uh, and it's the language that allows you to, you know, reach all the platforms at the same time. Uh, and, and we want to continue to focus on JavaScript. And, and once we get to the point where we start having those conversations about how do types exist in actual ECMAScript, uh, we're going to be there with, with our, you know, years of, of TypeScript experience to help make, make that transition good. And so, yeah, we're, we're very vested in, in the, the future of ECMAScript in the direction of, of TC39. All right. Well, we've kind of covered a broad range of topics. Is there anything else that anyone else wants to bring up? All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks then. Um, Amy, do you want to start us off with picks? Yep, I can go. Uh, so this actually just came out today, uh, which will be not today if you're listening. <laughs> It'll be a, probably like a week before. Uh, but I love all the um, code cartoons that Lynn Clark does. And she has one that I saw her tweeting uh, that she was getting ready to do. And like I said, it was just released on WebAssembly. So that's going to be my pick. It looks like it's um, a series. So the first one came out today. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. 
If you want the full treatment, she's speaking, and that's what she's speaking on is WebAssembly and cartoons at JSRemoteConf. Awesome. All right. Corey, what are your picks? All right. So I have two picks. My first pick is um, someone to follow who's named uh, Quincy Larson, who runs Free Code Camp. I enjoy reading so much of, of what he publishes. He f- primarily publishes on uh, Medium. But uh, just just I'll provide a link in the show notes to one of his recent posts, which was uh, talking about a warning from Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and Stephen Hawking, just about the future, um, how things are going to get very interesting in the future when we find ourselves to the point where so much is automated that we have to perhaps talk about having some kind of a standard income for people. Um, so just I'd recommend just really subscribing his emails he sends out. Uh, he posts quite regularly. Um, and then my, my second one, just self-serving, if anybody's interested, I was at uh, CodeMash and did a uh, build a JavaScript devi- development environment. Excuse me. I, I did a session, build a JavaScript development environment in 30 minutes. Um, and that is posted online where I sat down with Seth Juarez and, and did that. So if you want to see me move really quickly and put together Babel Webpack uh, and lots of other fun, then, um, yeah, it goes quickly. But it, it shows it really doesn't take that long to do something real. So those are my two. Awesome. Uh, Joe, do you have some picks for us? You bet. So uh, I want to pick Bill Paxton. He just passed away at 61. He was a great actor, really loved a lot of his movies, particularly a big fan of one of his first movies, Aliens. And so I'm going to pick Aliens as well. I found out that Bill Paxton is one of only two people ever in the history of the human race to have been killed by an alien, a predator, and a Terminator. So pretty big thing, pretty big deal. <laughs> Interesting. And uh, Who's the yep. other one? I can't remember some guy whose name I didn't even recognize, but probably like an extra or something, or maybe he's a little bit bigger, but I just didn't know him as well. And then the, my other pick is going to be a TV show that's on Netflix that is going to come with a warning. It's uh, pretty gruesome, and there's a fair amount of language. No nudity or anything, but uh, it is pretty adult. It's called Santa Clarita, Clarita Diet with uh, Timothy Oliphant and... Um, I can't remember the actress's name. Girl from Fifty First Dates. Anyway, it, she becomes a Drew Barrymore. There you go. She becomes a zombie. She's a mom. They're like typical suburbanite. She becomes a zombie and has to eat people, and <laughs> it's pretty funny. But it is also extremely graphic and gruesome. So be warned. But I have enjoyed the couple of episodes that I watched. All right, uh, AJ, do you have some picks for us? I do. I'm ready now. Uh, so a couple things, somebody, I think last week recommended, um, a book that was something like the sacred search. Did somebody pick that last week? That was me. Yeah, I finished okay. it and I can't say enough good things about it. So I looked up the YouTube video for it because it sounded interesting and thought that the guy had a lot of really cool things to say. And then somebody else pointed me to this blog article um, that kind of speaks some of the same things that that guy was saying about, um, you know, it, from the religious context of, of it not being about God having somebody pre-selected for you, but about you finding what you want to choose. And um, this blog is about basically that's, that's your whole life, that God is your co-creator, is your um, servant, if you will. Not, not, you are not slave to him, but he is, he is your partner. 
um, and explains it like six different ways. And uh, I think it's it's something valuable for for people that have a relationship with God to to consider those perspectives. Um, and if they ring true for you, uh, they certainly ring true for me. And I think it's very empowering and very enlightening. Um, so in the, the article is called, You're Not Messing Up God's Plan for You. Um, also, I had a friend share a comic with me for the Fallacy Fallacy. And it was pretty funny and on point. Uh, the Fallacy Fallacy is that somebody makes an argument that doesn't hold logically sound. And so therefore, they must be wrong. Or the, the opposite, that somebody makes an argument that's perfectly logically sound, and therefore it must be true, um, which is also not true. And so the um, like a, a prime example of this is if you've seen the movie Arrival, there's uh, the, um, the story about the kangaroo that's given in the middle of the movie, which would be a fallacy fallacy argument, because it's a story that isn't true, but it is perfectly logically valid. Um, and then in terms of cool tech stuff, uh, because what we're doing here at Dapply with, uh, auto discovery and DNS and MDNS and stuff, we, uh, we created some tools for debugging. So we created dig.js that's basically like dig, but it gives you the ability to output files and, uh, binary files or JSON files that represent DNS queries and also mdig that can do the same thing acting as an MDNS browser for your local network. So those are my picks. Nice. Um, I'm going to jump in with a few picks. So this last week I've been doing a couple of different things. Uh, by the time this comes out, it's kind of too late to get involved. Um, but one of the things that I've been doing and I'm just totally loving it is uh, I've been talking to people who are sort of stuck in the job that they're in either because they don't feel like there's another job out there they can get or you know, there are a lot of reasons for that, but I've been talking to a lot of people who, um, for whatever reason, either haven't started looking for a job, quit looking for a job, or, you know, just want to raise or things like that. And just to find out what is holding them up and, and how I can help them. And I have to say, I just love talking to people, um, especially when I feel like I can, I can contribute in some way to their journey. And so, um, I'm going to go ahead and just pick, um, my calendar link that you can go to to get 15 minutes to talk to me. Um, and this it's not too late for this. Um, I am also running a beta where I'm helping people um, in a Slack channel with the job search stuff. And I'm putting together a video course and things like that to help people uh, move out of one development job and into another that's a better fit for them. Um, and so hopefully that will be coming out, you know, reasonably soon but uh the link if you want to talk to me for 15 minutes and we can talk about whatever i usually ask one or two questions about the podcasts uh just to kind of get a feel for where you're at and what we can do to help you on the shows um if you go to devchat.tv slash 15 minutes that's one five minutes uh all one word then um it will let you hop on my calendar for 15 minutes either on a monday afternoon or wednesday afternoon so uh, anyway, if you if you want to talk to me, I love talking to people and just figuring out, hey, look, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is where I'm hung up on things. It doesn't have to be job search related. It can be anything. So I don't know what to learn next in JavaScript, all that stuff. Um, you know, check it out. Um, I'm happy to talk through it with you. Um, the other thing that I'm going to just shout out about is... Um, JS Remote Conf will be over by the time this comes out, but Freelance Remote Conf is coming up. So if you are 
Oh, wait, no, this comes out next week. JS Remote Conf is next week. <laughs> and uh, Freelance Remote Conf is about a month after that. So if you're interested in either of those, go check those out. And finally, um, I'm just going to pick one other thing, and that is um, recording a screencast. Uh, specifically, I use ScreenFlow, and so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But um, recording a screencast. So what I did is I hopped on... Um, a Google Hangout with Shandy, who's my new director of operations. And we just walked through how everything works for devchat.tv. Here's how all the podcasts get processed. And here's how all the conference stuff happens. And here's all the other things that I wish I could do that I don't have time to do that you can do. And, um, it just clarified a lot of stuff and I recorded it as a screencast and then sent it over to her. So now we have a whole bunch of to do's in our to do list and things like that, that just kind of allowed me to stream of thought a lot of this stuff without having to remember to put it into a document. So, um, recording a screencast is just a terrific way to communicate with people. And so I'm going to pick that as well. Uh, Bowden, what are your picks? Uh, my pick is a, uh, actually a mailing list called ops daily. Um, I'll, I'll put a link down below, but basically what the, what the concept is, is they, they reach out to a ton of people and ask them about the problems they face at work, uh, more in their day-to-day lives and, and how software could potentially solve that problem. And then they send out those kind of, those life stories, um, out every day to the entire mailing list. Uh, and, and then personally I got into software because I was fascinated by the amount of amount of day-to-day problems that can be solved or improved with software. Uh, and this mailing list is a great way to stay grounded because oftentimes we get caught up in the hardest problems, the, the biggest the biggest barriers. Uh, but there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. There's a lot of small things that people deal with every day uh, that really all of us as developers could, could help address. And I think it's a great way to stay aware of all those things. All right. Well, if people want to follow you, see what you've got going on, check out Visual Studio or TypeScript or anything else, uh, where, where should they go for that? I'm BowdenK7 on Twitter. Uh, and you can go to TypescriptLang.org for TypeScript stuff, code.visualstudio.com for VS Code stuff, and uh, visualstudio.com for anything Visual Studio related. Um, of course, you can always you know, tweet at me or reach out, and I'd be happy to chat uh, about just about anything. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. We'll go ahead and wrap thanks this so up. Much. Oh, go ahead. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. We'll catch you all next week. Peace. Thanks. Adios. This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. Engineers have watched over 2 million hours of Frontend Masters videos to upgrade their skills in the latest best practices in frontend development and Node.js. Popular video courses of theirs include courses on Advanced JavaScript, Angular 2, React, API Design with Node, and Functional and Asynchronous JavaScript. Many of their teachers have even been guests on JavaScript Jabber. Check them out at frontendmasters.com.